0: All right, everybody, uh, welcome. This is Helpful Snowman Radio, and today we are interviewing Jeff Strand. So I am, um, as we speak, waiting for his call to come in, and uh, I'm I'm early. He is not late. I am early, and um, I just you know I want to keep the intro very short because I'm guessing you know anyone who listens to this show. Gets plenty of me. And anyone who's tuned in to hear Jeff Strand probably doesn't want to hear a whole lot of me. So I'll just say um, I was reading uh, Jeff Strand's new Attack of the Killer Tomatoes (laughs) novelization, which I'm going to ask him about a little bit. And my partner, Poonmaster Flex, was like, why don't you contact him? Like, this seems like someone that you would like to talk to, or, you know, You, you share a sense of humor, I think. And I was like, yeah, whatever, and then was kind of like, hey, wait a minute, I do I do this podcast thing. That's actually a perfect opportunity to talk to somebody like this, you know, and a perfect excuse to be like, hey, do you want to talk to me? Went on to Jeff Strand's website, uh, and on his FAQ, it says, do you, will you be on my podcast? And he says, yes, um, absolutely, email me here. And I was like, well... Either Jeff Strand is going to be on my podcast or deeply regret putting that in his FAQ. Um, so Jeff Strand is the author of many, many books, um, horror, comedy, horror. He's got some books that I guess would you might call teen or young adult, depending on where you're at in that categorization. Um, and then he's got a lot of blends of those different things. So without further nonsense, uh, Jeff Strand. so i'll just start off with this is should i should i call you jeff um yeah jeff all right awesome and is that what people should call you like if they come across you at a convention hey jeff hey mr strand
1: they can think oh my god it's stoker winner jeff strand but they should just say jeff
0: (laughs) as long as in their in their heads they're like it's him it's that here's all the credits.
1: Right. Or in their heads, they can think anything they want. They can, there's a dick, but <laughs> they should, you know, they can just refer to me as Jeff and I will answer, or at least look over in their direction.
0: Awesome. Um, so I guess just to sort of like get things started here, I was going to tell you about my first Jeff Strand reading experience. It came much later in life than I would have liked, but. I also read my first Stephen King when I was like 30. So you okay. know, you're in good company there, I guess. Um, <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And yeah, it was only the only thing wrong with it was, you know, in both your case and Stephen King's, I was like, oh, I have been missing out. What have, what have I been doing with my life? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I started this book club, you know, this was like pre-pandemic times and we met in basically a dive bar. And I was trying to come up with short things to read. So there was this collection um, called Hark the Herald Angels Scream. And I basically bought a copy and took the stories out um, and gave the different stories to different people in the book club. And so then uh, we met up and all described our stories. And so they're like uh, Christmas themed horror stories, basically. Right, and so everyone met up and was kind of describing what happened in their stories. And somebody got your story called "Good Deeds," and launched into explaining it. Um, it's basically a fictional tale of the person who created the song "Christmas Shoes." Um, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about your relationship with that song and sort of how you got into that story.
1: Well, I I was invited to submit to it, so I needed to come up with a Christmas horror story, and because it's me, I wanted it to be a you know a pitch black comedy Christmas story, and that the um the song is just one of those songs that tries too hard. Like his whole purpose was to make you cry, right. and the song it I don't you know have the intense hatred for the song that a lot of people do, but it's a lame song. It's just it's a stupid story. It's a guy you know this kid needs money for shoes because he doesn't want his mom to go to heaven in her bad shoes <laughs> and but he doesn't have enough money and so the narrator of the song gives you know buys the shoes for this young child and he's you know it is a pure humble brag in right song. right it is you know on this day I threw a couple bucks on the counter and made you know this kid's mom go to heaven in nice shoes It's it's a stupid <laughs> stupid freaking song it you know it's like there are a lot of those songs where it's just they're trying too hard it's like you're gonna cry you are going to cry and it so it was kind of like fun to write a story that the guy does this he is just it is to him. It is the greatest act of charity humankind has ever seen, and like the narrator, he's just very pleased with himself. You know, I yes. uh, it is a fine, fine thing I have done on this day. So he writes a song about it, but the song is so depressing that it starts mass suicides in anyone who <laughs> listens to it. Right. So,
0: yeah, the, I think one of my favorite parts of it was kind of like. Uh, you know, every time he played the song for anybody, yeah, it would just like initiate a mass suicide event, and the narrator seemed kind of baffled by it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like,
2: it's, it's like the classic
0: supervillain thing, you know, where they're like, right. uh, Oh, I never imagined this could be used for evil, you know, where
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, he is very much the hero of his own story, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. It it makes for this like wonderful this wonderful comedy in it because he's just so confused that people have not taken this song in the spirit in which he intended it. Right. <laughs> so
1: I guess the real Christmas shoe song, I mean it's an enduring holiday classic, but it's just a crappy
0: song. You know, I feel like it's one of those ones that yeah, it's a classic, but then you re-examine, you know, I feel like the last few decade or so a lot of people have re-examined like baby it's cold outside and i'm like what about christmas shoes though that song is like kind of wild when you get into it yeah well christmas shoes
1: isn't you know a product of its time it's kind of you know it's not you know In modern era, that's not really how we should be behaving. This is just some guy who's, you know, that's right, I bought this kid some shoes and Jesus was smiling down on me, giving me a thumbs up. Good, good job. Yeah. We're still going to kill the kid's mom, but still.
0: Right, like, when you look at the song now, it almost feels like the implication of the song is like, Jesus decided to kill this kid's mom in order to teach me a lesson about the goodness of you know being good during christmas <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> i maybe that's what god does i don't
0: know i guess uh, you know there's got to be a reason for something no, I'm, not, but... I'm not i'm not going to judge <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was kind of my first you know introduction into your work which you know as soon as i well the person who came to the book club described the story and then i was like i need to read this immediately and then read it and was like, okay, I need to find out if this person has written other things. And sure enough, you've written many other things. Yes. Um. So I moved into some other stuff from there. Do you feel like, though, there's any particular uh, books or stories or anything where it seems like most people kind of find out about your work?
1: Not really. There was a time when it was because... um my mass market books were Pressure and Dwell. So those had vastly wider distribution than anything else. So if someone discovered my work, they probably found one of those two books. Now it's kind of all over the place. I'm actually kind of happy when, you know, there'll be a thread saying, what's your favorite Jeff Strand book? And the answers are just, you know, across pretty much all my bibliography. So, you know, there's I'll get the what book should I start with? And I have, you know, random answers depending on who I'm talking to, but there isn't really any more one book that you know that ah, uh, this is how you are found. It's kind of you know, I have some that sell better than others, some that are more popular than ever, others, but there's not you know Jeff Strand, author of blank. There isn't one book that would be the default answer for that. It's kind of all over the place.
0: And do you find like you know, so some people probably come to you through uh, something that's more comedy, something that's more like dark horror, something that's more um, teen, young adult novel. Do you do you feel like the way those different fans find you affects the way that they approach you or that you interact with them?
1: Yeah, it kind of because um, the young adult is a completely different audience. So I w- it would be great to know that you know all the young adult readers went on to read my adult stuff, but I don't know that that actually ever happens. I'm not aware of there being really any crossover. Probably because the YA stuff is just pure, goofy comedy, and the adult stuff is for the most part horror. So, um, but the young adult stuff, because they are really goofy comedies, and they're not—I don't write them for reluctant readers—but that's the way the publisher source books markets them. So they end up in a lot of school libraries, and it ends up, you know, some unhappy kids and I have to write a book report. (laughs) Well, hey, this book is really dumb. You'll enjoy it, and, then, <laughs> and so a lot of my emails are, dear Mr. Strand. I always hated to read. Then I read the Grey Zombie movie ever, and didn't realize books like this were even allowed to exist. So thank you. So, a lot of you, know, a lot of my emails for the young adult stuff are, you know, middle grade male students who hated to read until they realized that you can write books that are just pure goofy comedies.
0: Yeah, so, I, I read uh, the greatest zombie, greatest zombie movie ever. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, part of what just ended up with me on that one is it was one of the ones that the library had, you know, and I was like, yeah. oh, okay, well, I'll go that way. And it was super fun. And yeah, it's not, you know, it's very light on horror elements because it's yeah, right. co- comedic and everything. But yeah, I I was reading it and thinking like, where the hell was this book when I was in high school? Like, this is the kind of thing that, you know, I I wasn't a big reader in like junior high and high school and then ended up being an English major in college and becoming a librarian. Um, so, you know, it was kind of an odd path for me. And I, I felt like what changed a lot for me was finding out like, oh, there are books don't have to be the things that like my English teacher is really into. Right. Cause
1: I loved to read as a kid, but they didn't have, or if they did, I didn't know where to find it. So I was into, you know, sort of lighthearted mystery stuff. So I loved Encyclopedia Brown. I loved Choose Your Own Adventure, you know, Beverly Cleary, which they were lighthearted, funny books, but they weren't laugh out loud funny. They were just sort of, madcap adventures that ramona gets herself into so i liked that kind of stuff you know just the lighthearted, fun stuff but in terms of books that are just you know goofy joke 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 they didn't really have that so yeah i would have loved to have had that because i didn't discover that kind of writing until i went to you know adult books and read hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy Mm -hmm. you know douglas adams like oh my god I know you're allowed to write books like this. This <laughs> book is just completely insane. So I was hooked on that kind of stuff. But yeah, as a kid, I, there wasn't really the kind of stuff that I'm writing for kids now.
0: Yeah, I, I do feel like maybe that that sort of, I don't know, market for a lack of a better term kind of exploded in the last maybe couple decades or so. Like it's been yeah. a literature-wise a very recent development, right? Right. Yeah. I
1: mean, it's definitely not a genre that I create. You know, there's Captain Underpants
0: that, you know,
1: there was no Captain Underpants equivalent when I was a kid. Right. Now, now it's all over the place. So I'm, I have my own little piece of that.
0: Well, and I feel like, especially in the, you know, because you're describing like um, Encyclopedia Brown and that kind of stuff. And it, it felt like for me when I was a kid, because I, you know, I did summer reading or whatever when I was a kid. And then. But then when you got to be like, I don't know, in junior high school or something like it, you just sort of fall off the edge of the world. Like there weren't really books for that audience or something. Right. They would hand you, I don't know, Tom Sawyer or something like that.
1: Yeah, there wasn't the young adult category as it exists today didn't really exist when I was a young adult. So I kind of like a lot of people, you leapt from kids books to adult books without really anything in between. So I kind of went from, you know, the and I liked a lot that we had at home a bunch of the classic, you know, the Robinson Crusoe, Ricky tikki Tabby. So those aimed at kids, those I could really get into. But then it was, you know, walking around the library as a teenager, saying, no, I should try a Stephen King book. And then suddenly, I need to read every Sting- Stephen King book that has ever been published. And then discovering Dean Kuntz and saying, okay, I need to read every Dean Koontz book that's ever been published. And then discovering Robert McCammon and saying, I like him even better than Stephen King and Dean Koontz, And I need to read every Robert McCammon book. So then that's kind of how I became just a voracious horror reader. And for a long t- I, for a long time, horror was basically all I read because teachers weren't assigning me books anymore. But um then I get a point saying, you know, I should branch out a little bit more and read some more non-horror books. And so now it's a little bit more of a mix, but kind of outside of classwork, from high school on, I was just a ravenous horror reader.
0: Okay. So that was that was a big thing for you at that time. That very that's like feels like a very formative time for reading, right? Like yeah. you're getting into I don't know, you're kind of building what your taste is like. Yep. Did you also have, I feel like a lot of writers end up sort of having this experience where at some point they've read a bunch of, you know, whatever they're really into and then start feeling like, how come there's not a book like this or a book like that? And then so they kind of end up writing that book. Is that, is that, does that speak to you or?
1: It speaks to me in terms of regret. In terms of, <laughs> I was a big George Romero fan. I loved Night of the Living Dead. Loved Dawn of the Dead. Loved Day of the Dead. I thought to myself, why isn't there? Why isn't there a you know a Romero zombie book? Hmm. Well, maybe I'll write one someday. I never did. I should have. I could have been the one who jump started the whole zombie craze, but other people did it. Yeah, I was like, man, I. I was thinking to myself, I should write a book that plays by the George Romero zombie rules. I didn't. And now it's like, man, that was dumb. I should have leapt right on that. But my thought was, well, if it doesn't exist, that must mean there's no market for it.
0: Oh, like, I see. So it was like kind of the reverse thing of, well, if this doesn't exist, I must be the only one who's interested in it or something? Yeah.
1: It was like uh, Clearly, if people wanted George Romero zombie books, they would be out there already. So. <laughs> Love, so that was a mistake.
0: Well, how are you to know? But yeah, it would be sort yeah. of like, you know, I, I'm sure there's got to be someone out there, right? Who is like, you know what, I should write is like a teen vampire romance. And then they're like, nobody yeah. wants that. You right. Know? And that, that would never <laughs> sell. <laughs> it would never. Teenage
1: be. girls would turn against that in droves.
0: Ooh, and the vampires could be sparkly and pretty instead of you know weird Nosferatu characters, and then it's like, oh, yeah. nobody wants to read about that.
1: Yeah, that could have been me too. I
0: never, <laughs> I, I
1: never thought I should write a teenage vampire romance, but I did think I should write a Romero zombie book and didn't.
0: But. Well, I would, you know, I would still love to read that someday. Just, just putting it out there, if it's still something that you think about. You know, I know the, well, I know the zombie like, wave. Well, mine
1: could be one of a million and a half <laughs> other Romero zombie books out there. So, I'm kind of the urge to do that is pretty much gone because, like, all right, how do I stand out from the others? Of course, mine would be, you know, really goofy and obnoxious. But yep, that's it's not on the short list of things I'm writing. <laughs> I I did my one zombie book, but it's not at all a Romero type zombie. It's a book called The Sinister Mister Corpse, which is. A guy who is killed and then brought back to life as a zombie on national TV as part of a live television special. He becomes a you know worldwide celebrity as the amazing Mr. Corpse. So it's not <laughs> it's it's a pure comedy. It is not a Romero-esque zombie book at all.
0: That's great. Maybe some. Well, you know, I guess we can just wait another thirty years or however long it takes yeah. these things to cycle and yeah. yeah, I'm
1: gonna wait until the, the zombie craze is completely dead, <laughs> and I will jump in. Like,
0: there you go, guys. At the at the very bottom of the waves, that's right. the time to strike.
1: That's right. <laughs> when everyone is completely sick of it, then <laughs> then I will have my moment.
0: Um, you know, and so I read I read the short story, and I read the teen book, and I've read some other things. So you've done, you know. Pretty straight up comedies, you've done like horror, horror comedy, um how to write, some teen books, so, sort of supernatural versus like more reality thrillers and stuff. so it kind of seems like you can go anywhere, really. Um, is there any type of book that you're really not interested in or that you've had maybe some false starts on and just doesn't come together somehow?
1: There's nothing that I've really ruled out. Like, um, I did my, the first Andrew Mayhem book, there've been five of them. The first one was a whodunit mystery. And that was such a pain to write that for the second book, I set it up like it was going to be a whodunit mystery and then killed off all the suspects in the second (laughs) chapter. And then, and then the rest of the series was not because what I've discovered is that whodunit mysteries are extremely, Difficult for me. It's just like it wasn't that enjoyable trying to keep track of all the clues and all that kind of stuff. Um, For the most part, like I'm probably not going to lean into a really heavy science based thriller that requires tons and tons of research or historical from a standpoint of, again, something that requires tons and tons of research. I've done uh, period pieces. So, you know, my book, Dweller basically covers every year between like 1946 and 2010 um my book autumn bleeds into winter takes place very specifically 1979 fairbanks alaska but in terms of like i'm gonna write a big you know historical novel set you know in australia in the 1800s that's probably not something i'm going to do because i'm not the historical stuff is not really where my interests are. But if someone said, Hey, we'll give you a large sum of money to write this historical novel,
0: I would be all over it. But <laughs>
1: gotcha. you, but could, be, you part, could be
0: motivated to do it. <laughs> yeah,
1: I could be motivated. You know, there aren't there aren't um really that many subgenres that I would rule out. Like for a while I wasn't you know, I hadn't done cosmic horror. I still haven't done mm. cosmic horror, but I came up with a premise for a cosmic horror book and pitched it to um my young adult publisher and they liked it so that i haven't actually started it yet but it is it will be the second book in a two book deal so i will be doing you know my cosmic horror and the first book in that deal which also it won't be out until 2024 that book is done it's called um it watches in the dark that's folklore which is not you know i would not have thought hey i'm gonna do a folk horror book but now i have so yeah there's nothing i would completely rule out and i try to mix it up so my previous book the book that just came out demonic mm-hmm. is essentially non-stop action this is not a slow burn this is a gets started really fast and just rockets through to the very end now the book i'm writing now is a slow burn it's kind of a you know you, you're not sure quite where it's headed and then there's a gigantic plot twist at the halfway point, mm. and then the book you know takes a major left turn into another direction. But it's not nonstop action. It is a very heavily character-based book for the first half. So I try to mix things up. There's not you know you don't really know what you get, what you're going to get when you buy one of my books, except hopefully it's entertaining and usually a little bit goofy.
0: I like that. So, so you kind of feel like uh, it's not only about. Working in different genres, for example, but maybe like the pace of the book or the sort of way it expands or contracts the narrative kind of keeps it interesting.
1: Right. Well, that's one of the great things about horror is there's so much you can do in it. You know, I don't have to, you know, kill somebody off in the first chapter. I can do kind of a slow as long as there are very strong hints that something is off but it's not, the book doesn't really explode until the halfway point. Whereas then I can write something like demonic, which is just instant. And, mm. you know, this nonstop action for 250 pages kind of thing. So yeah, that's a lot of the fun of horror. You know, my book dweller is, you know, it's a very sad book. And then I've written books that are not sad at all. And I've written, you know, Pure comedies, even though the horror, and then I've written really, really dark stuff like My Pretties. Mm -hmm. So it's horror lets me bounce basically, you know, all kinds of different pacing. I can do kind of whatever I want within that genre.
0: Um, what what is it about horror that you think that makes it like feel that way? That makes it feel like you know it's so? Because I agree with you. It seems like horror has this great ability to kind of go anywhere
1: because it's an emotion it's not a genre it's kind Mm. of like romance is a genre right romance you have there are the rules they have to meet early you can't do a romance romance novel where your hero and heroine don't meet pretty early on and they have to end up together at the end like that is right that is the genre If if they it is by definition not a romance novel and so romance novels are about you know fulfilling expectations Right when you you pick up a romance it's like a, it's a romance novel is like a hug it is like you know everything is going to be okay and a horror novel a lot of times is about defying expectations it's about oh you thought it was going to go left now it's going to go right it's going to you know so you can kind of do anything you want and there aren't rules there isn't a rule saying okay in a horror novel the monster has to show up by the end of chapter three or it is not by definition a horror novel that's not way it works you know a mystery novel you have to have a mystery and you have to give the answer at the end you can't decide you know and then they never found out who the killer was (laughs) who knows (laughs) Was, was it the butler was it the you know it you can't really do that there are very specific genre expectations that readers bring to a mystery novel and if they aren't fulfilled, that the book is a failure Mm. and you know a thriller you don't a thriller tends to be fast-paced it's Mm -hmm. kind of you know there has to be danger you have to sort of move quickly you don't have there i'm sure there are some but you don't have a lot of thriller books that are you know Kind of a slow burn. We'll we'll get you there. Just just relax. Right. Right. <laughs> Where, but so horror because it's not really a genre formula. You can kind of do whatever you want, and you know, you can be the same author you can do. You know, Stephen King does books that are really fast. One, he but does books that are really mm-hmm. slow, and you know, you can go all over the place. So, it, in terms of you know, if you're going to get pigeonholed into a specific genre, horror is a pretty good one because I can still kind of write whatever I want and still be, you know, a horror author.
0: Nice. And yeah, I've never thought of it that way. But that is really interesting because like, yeah, a romance, like if it doesn't have the happily ever after, right, it's kind of... Uh, you know, outside the romance genre.
1: Right. It becomes a love story. And you would never sell that, uh, you know, Harlequin would never publish something like that.
0: Right. Yeah. And then in horror, it's like, well, it can have a monster or not a monster. It can have violence or not so much violence. It can
1: be a extreme horror splattery gore fest, or it can, you know, the dew on the tree at moonlight dripping is eerie. You know, you can do... There's a wide, wide range of what you can do.
0: I, yeah, I've never thought of it that way, but that's <laughs> that's really great. I love that. Um, I have noticed, you know, uh, shelving books at the library, that there are a number of authors who will use like a pen name. Like uh, I'm thinking of Nora Roberts is, you know, the writer of sort of uh, love stories and such. And then J.D. Robb is kind of her thriller pen name. Right. But, you know, it's not like a big secret that J.D. Robb and Nora Roberts are the same person. And I wonder if you've ever considered using a pen name in that way, just because, you know, you're you do cross into so many different genres.
1: I had really tried to avoid it. And sometimes I regret like when I got my contract for the YA stuff, I thought they were going to ask me to change my name and they didn't. Mm -hmm. Like good. And my uh, I have some middle grade books coming up and those also they aren't going to ask me to change her name which is kind of nice so i've got you know kumquat is a pure romantic comedy Mm -hmm. and i in retrospect i might have i at the time i was like i don't want to deal with you know trying to start over you know a new website all that i'll just stick with my name i kind of wish because kumquat is you know, a romantic comedy from a horror author. I sort of wish I'd put a different name on there. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Bang Up, which is a um, basically a smut comedy from a horror <laughs> author. Both of them sold. Both of them were extremely well received by the few people who read them, but they sold poorly. It was like too far out of it was, you know, Kumquat was too far from what I normally write for my horror fans to read it. But the romantic comedy fans weren't reading it because all the reviews were, you know, a romantic comedy from a horror author? That's crazy. <laughs> so there are times I kind of wish I had, you know, let's see what happens if I put a fake name on here and start over. Though it's no longer a secret pen name. I had done one book called Evil Bigfoot Monster and mm-hmm. I was on vacation, but I was feeling creative, you know, creatively energized. I, wanted, I was like, I'm going to write something. Really fun, and so what I tried to do was write this worst novel not novel, it's a, it's a short story that it builds itself as a 5,000 word novel, mm-hmm. and I just want it to be like the worst thing you've ever read, but credibly bad and hilariously bad. Mm-hmm. And so I'm actually really proud of it because it has layers of badness. You have to (laughs) you can't you can't pick up on all the ways in which evil Bigfoot Monster is bad in one reading. I'm it I believe I'm very proud of it actually. I think it's a I think it's a very credible but really funny fake bad book. And I want what I wanted was for people so I published it under the pen name FF Monsoon and I wanted people to like discover it and just say you you have to read this you cannot believe what is going on here and so it really didn't get discovered so i was kind of because i was thinking i'll just crank out a new ff monsoon book every couple weeks and this will be a big cash cow." but no (laughs) one found you a big monster it was i was very proud of myself because it got two reviews and they were both like, one star, this is the worst trash I've ever read. So good. <laughs> they don't get the joke. They're not They're not recognizing that it's fake. So I've done my job. And so I I had a friend who was kind of, I, only a few people were in on what I was doing, and I forwarded him the one star review. He's like, oh, that's got to hurt. It's like, no, it doesn't hurt because that's what I was going for. The Evil Bigfoot Monster is not meant to be a high-quality book. I want what I didn't want were people saying, "Oh, this is obviously fake." Right. I was like, if if I can get an angry one-star review saying this person needs to go back to school and take some writing classes, <laughs> I have succeeded. So what I you know I envisioned it as something that you know, you have to read this you will, you will not believe what you're reading because it's not just bad. I want it to be you know, as as funny as I could possibly make it. Just in the way of how bad it is, but it did not take off. No one really discovered it. So when I did my first nonfiction book called "The Writing Life: Reflections, Recollections, and a Lot of Cursing," I did the entire story behind the pen name and gave it all away. And it, there was a tiny little spike, but it's still even, you know, having confessed to my pen name. The no one is really gravitating toward evil Bigfoot monster, which is a shame. I think it is a masterpiece of terrible fiction.
0: Do you feel sometimes, because I feel sometimes like, you know, um, I'm a very amateurish writer, uh, but sometimes I feel like it's the projects that I work on that I think are going to be great that just don't seem to take off somehow. And then the things that seem to connect with people are the ones that I'm like, "Eh, you know, it's good, but it's not, you know, my all time favorite or something. Does that happen to you or? Sometimes at this point I'm you know, I've published over fifty books. <laughs>
1: yeah. And so I kind of like when Demonic came out, I wasn't stressing, like, oh gosh, what if no one likes it? What if it doesn't No, Demonic is smack, you know, smack in the middle of what my fan base wants to read. And I knew it was gonna do well. My next book is called Weirder Than Normal, and that's kind of the slow burn one. That I don't know. I'm gonna be a little bit nervous when that one goes live, hoping people like it, hoping mm-hmm. it sells well. But I'm not sure. So I you know I've experienced enough at this point that, for the most part, I can kind of predict how a book I hope they all do well. But when you know, bang Up came out,, I, said, I don't know, I hope it does really well. This could change everything. This could be my most successful book ever, or it could bomb, and it bombed. But um you know, because it was outside of my genre. But if I do a straightforward horror or thriller book, I at this point, I know it's going to be you know at least a sales success, mm-hmm. so whereas when I get a little bit goofier, it's, it's a little bit more wobbly area, and like the writing life, I was like, this will probably be my worst seller ever because it's you know it's a nonfiction book, it's not really a how to guide it's basically it's called The Writing Life. It is about the life of being a writer. Who is not super, you know, New York Times bestseller successful. I was like, that's a little bit that's a bit of a niche audience. And it was extremely, you know, the reviews have been great, people love it, but it didn't sell particularly well. So there's, you know, some stuff that I know where I'm confident, you know, demonic was going to do well, people were going to like it. Writing life, people are gonna like it, I think, but it may not sell well. So it's kind of usually I have a pretty good um idea and it's fairly rare that i'm just completely
0: blindsided gotcha yeah i i i uh read the writing life because i i don't know i think uh reading your other books and so when i saw that you had this sort of um memoir slash you know writing process type book i was just kind of curious because i was like well this This Jeff Strand character writes a lot of different things and, you know, kind of does a lot of different. And I, I, what I really liked about it, I think, is that it was it felt like I was sort of mainlining that, you know, the voice that comes up in some of your books sometimes. And it was uh, that was just a very it was a it was a nice to spend that time with you, if that's not too weird to say. (laughs) It was a very pleasant experience
1: the concept of it was that I wanted, you know, and I'm I don't really drink at conventions, but I wanted it to be the equivalent of hanging out with me at the bar. Yeah. You know, I'm not I'm not standing behind the podium lecturing to an audience. It's like, hey, come on over, let's let's talk for a while. Yeah. So that's kind of the the tone I wanted.
0: Oh yeah. I think that that's how it felt. It felt like talking to a friend as opposed to, you know, hearing like, step one, do this or step two right. and um yeah, it,
2: it
0: it's just very I entertaining to be, on top of being you know about you and everything. It's just also I think someone who's never read one of your books would also find it pretty entertaining
1: right i wanted it's like I considered a comedy book as much as anything I wanted it to be laugh out loud, funny through the whole thing, and kind of I wanted it to be you know my equivalent of. On Writing by Stephen King. And mm-hmm. Stephen King's, you know, On Writing is one of the greatest books about writing that has ever been written. But it's Stephen King. Stephen King is at a very, very high level. And he is relating to people on the Stephen King level. And so I'm like, well, I'm going to relate to people on the Jeff Strand level. And I think there are more <laughs> writers who are at the Jeff Strand level than there are at the Stephen King level. So,
0: Yeah, well, I think... I think over time, too, that book will become even more interesting because I think uh, it kind of captures this era in fiction and publishing and stuff where, you know, things have kind of moved from being traditional. Everybody, you know, you're either traditional published or like total vanity press kind of thing where you had to pay, you know, tens of thousands of dollars and you ended up with a garage full of your books. Um and now like things have changed. There's a lot more middle ground between those two poles.
1: Right. Yeah. The introduction to the book says, you know, here is a you know, it's makes it very clear when the book is set. Here is the day the book came out. So if you're reading it 20 years from now, you said, all right, that's now I'm oriented to how much the business has changed. So at some point it will become a quaint historical document. <laughs> yeah. But but if you buy it now, it is chock full of valuable tidbits and amusing anecdotes
0: yeah I loved it and I definitely I highly recommend it to anyone who's a writer and but I also recommend it to anyone who's not just because I think if you like if you like fun memoirs and that kind of thing like this is perfect um So you were talking about, and you've mentioned, you know, before, like, uh, your darker horrors seem to do better sales, where, you know, your comedy and comedy horror is, it seems like it's well-liked by people who read it, but maybe they don't, you know, sell quite as gangbusters. And I feel like, in general, comedy is a really tough sell, like in books especially, and I wonder if you have thoughts about why that is.
1: I'm not completely sure why, because I am known as... You know, the horror comedy guy, but there is also a very clear, you know, something like Clowns versus Spiders did not sell as well as something like, you know, Allison. So Allison Allison has tons of humor in it, but it's promoted as a straight horror novel, whereas Clowns versus Spiders has a lot of humor and it. it's treated as sort of a horror comedy. And I have very much discovered that you know, the more blatant the humor. It kind of has a negative impact on sales, but you know that's not necessarily across the genre. Like Grady Hendrix, Mm -hmm. all of his books are promoted very blatantly as horror comedies, and he's doing you know really, really well. I went to one of his events on for his latest book, "How to Sell a Haunted House," and you know he was selling out venues all across his book tour. Which is insane.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: what what kind of author sells out, you know, their book signings? That's right. that's madness. So he's doing, you know, really well. And um, Brian Asman has had, you know, just mm-hmm. insane success with man, fuck this house, which is I assume it's you know, the book is fantastic, but it's also you know, the title, your change. you think, Oh, that sounds hilarious. Mm-hmm. So, you know, me saying, well here's what that's my personal experience that's not necessarily across the board because i've seen people doing horror comedies that have done you know fantastically well you know, david wong who now he rebranded them as his real name jason pargan his john dies at the end series those mm-hmm. are new york times bestsellers so my own personal experience is weirdly as the guy who is kind of branded as the horror comedy guy is that i do a little bit better when i play it a little bit darker a little bit straighter but other people have had great success with wacky horror comedy so i don't know
0: well it maybe feels to me a little bit like in in books the horror comedy genre is kind of like a growing a growing thing and it's growing really fast and i feel like you know i don't know it seems like something that works for me i mean i picked up Clowns versus spiders. That was one of your first books that I read. Just because, I guess I'm that person who just sees that and is like, "Why not?" And then, you know, I kind of want to see like how how is he going to make this work? You know, how is this going to be? How how does this become a book, a full book? And then, reading it, I think something that I was really uh pleased with and just worked for me so well was like, you have this way in that book in particular of there are horror elements and then there's comedy and it feels like the comedy doesn't ever all the way sort of like pierce the bubble. Like it doesn't destroy the tension of the book and doesn't destroy right. the horror of the book. There's, there's a really nice blend in there.
1: Well, that's really important to what I try to do with almost every book. Not so much the short stories. You know, with the short stories, I will sometimes just go full on in the comedy element of the comedy horror blend. Mm-hmm. But I always, you know, with even when it's clowns versus spiders, which is a goofy book, it's you still have to have a serious spider menace. Right. So it's not, you know, the spiders aren't, you know, doing anything goofy. The spiders are scary as hell and the humor comes from the clowns and their situation and that kind of stuff. It's not ever cartoony.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of it's almost like reading that book you know the initial premise that you get into you're like this is a the title the premise whatever is kind of like a a silly thing but then it's treated in a very serious way and i think that makes it the horror is enhanced that way and the comedy is even funnier that way um right
1: yeah i wanted it to be a um you know it's a it's a horror comedy for sure it's not a bait and switch it's a very funny book but i you know play fair with the characters the characters are in danger yes yeah that was really the baseline was they're in danger they're not you know it's not fake danger these aren't you know goofy little spiders they are large venom spiders who will kill you in horrible ways and then i'm going to throw the clowns on top of that and turn it into a horror comedy and that's generally what i do and clowns for spiders kind of one of my rare ones that is where the premise is blatantly horror comedy, mm-hmm. like Ferocious, you can pitch that without the comedy at all. You can say it's about a man and his niece who live off the grid in a cabin in the woods and then the animals in the forest become zombified and attack the cabin and they have to get to their truck, which is stuck in the mud three miles away. So how do you get through three miles of forest filled with zombies? And it doesn't sound funny at all, but it's all about the character interactions. So the book is actually, you know, lot. it is, in, in my horror comedy scale, there's a lot of humor in it. But it's all, you know, dialogue between Uncle Rusty and his niece Mia. And so it, basically the threat is always there. You know, it's never, you know, goofy stuff. It's just, they're in a very, very dangerous situation. But there's a lot of humor as they, interact trying to get out of this mess so i consider the book a horror comedy but i don't have to market it as a horror comedy right which is how a lot of my stuff is. my pretties is as dark of a book as i've ever written but there's still a lot of humor right but it's always it's never humor that diminishes the horror it is just humor that is you know i generally find that you like characters more if they can make you laugh Mm -hmm. not laughing at them laughing with them you know if a character is witty or in some way you know i my characters are generally very flawed people which (laughs) so i can get a lot of you know a socially awkward main character a lot of times i think is a reader will fall in love with more than a very confident flawless main character so i get a lot of humor out of it that way And then I'm still, you know, the stakes are real. The serial killer in My Pretty is a horrible, horrible person. And, you know, he's not playing around. And so I, the humor comes from other things than the actual threat.
0: Do you feel like, um, is that sort of the way the characters are? They're often, you know, flawed or imperfect and, you know, real in that way. Is that kind of how you draw a difference between, because sometimes... A comedic character can come off as just sort of um annoying or obnoxious. And I feel like mm-hmm. your characters though, I never I never feel like uh that way about that. I'm never like tired of them, like, oh, okay, come on. You know what I mean? Like I just I think you do a good job of balancing that. And is that part of that that secret sauce?
1: Yeah. And it's something I'm conscious of because you don't and sometimes I scale it back a little bit. That what that will usually happen in the final proofread, where it's like, okay, you know what, that line goes too far. That is not something she would say when she's being cornered by the killer. Okay, so those it kind of weeded out. Sometimes they make it into the actual writing process, but then they get weeded out when I'm going back through it. But Yeah. yeah, it is very much you know keep keep the humor what would actually happen in that situation and yeah you don't want a character who's just obnoxious you know mm-hmm. the the wacky sidekick who won't shut the fuck up i'm <laughs> right. not I, I don't like to do books where you're rooting unless it's a horrible person so if it's like an evil person then yes you want them to die but i don't want to generally write books where you're rooting for your heroes to get killed no, I'm not it's not a, I don't do slasher books where it's a bunch of obnoxious teenagers and you just can't wait to see the killer <laughs> chop off their heads. I want you to read the book and think, "Man, I hope all these teenagers get out of that summer camp unscathed." Right. So, yeah, so I'm very conscious of, you know, where does witty turn into obnoxious. And so I try to to you know, always stay on the right side of the line.
0: Nice. Yeah, I, I do get that feeling in the reading, reading your books. And I think that's like a very successful element of them and part of what makes the humor work so well. And yeah. it does, I feel like your books have moments too where you're right, like it takes the threat seriously. It feels like um, sort of the ending of Shaun of the Dead when they're in the bar. Right. And, you know, at that yep. point, it, there's not a whole lot of humor at that point because it's gotten serious and it's uh, pretty dire you know, and the humor yep. kind of fades into the background a little bit. But just
1: a little bit. It's got scenes that are weirdly, weirdly intense, but also um, funny. Yes. So there's the scene late in the game where um, he's holding a broke, Sean is holding a broken bottle to the other guy. And there's, you know, there are, there's this very tense standoff. Mm-hmm. But in the middle of that, there's a goofy joke where the lady's like, well, that's not fair. I don't have a weapon. And the he hands her are- <laughs> to her. but the tension never disappears because the scene is so intense that they can and you've set the tone for the movie so perfectly that you can have that moment and it doesn't ruin the moment it doesn't right. ruin the tension of the scene I mean, yeah. what happens with Shaun of the Dead is that by the end sequence you are so invested in these characters that when you know the threat is always real the zombie. there's a lot of humor with the zombies it's in terms of the horror comedy balance, it's probably more balanced towards comedy. It's, you know, it's a very silly movie. Some the zombies are sometimes played for laughs, but you know, you get so invested in Sean and the supporting cast that when things do get really dark and dire at the end, you're completely immersed. And even though it's a really goofy horror comedy film, you
0: know, yeah. Yeah, and it's that's it's the movie I compare when I'm telling people about your books. That's what I often compare them to um, the horror comedy ones because I feel like it's got that vibe. You know, it's fun, it's funny, but there are moments like when you know the roommate uh, turns into a zombie in the in the shower or whatever, right. and that's like a genuinely threatening moment because he's you yep. know scary looking and he's a bigger guy and all that stuff. So you're kind of uh, it it's frightening. And, you know, yep. it's got that fear, but then it can kind of um, swim back and forth between those comedy moments and those scary moments. Right. Um, yeah, well it is
1: it is as good of a horror comedy film as you can get.
0: Yeah, totally. I agree. It's, it's one of my all-time faves. Um, yep, absolutely. While we're talking about sort of horror comedy... One of your newer releases is a novelization of Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Yes. Um and that book is definitely, you know, very comedy oriented. Um, yeah, it is it's all comedy. Yeah. <laughs> you're, not, you're not gonna be reading Attack
1: of the Killer Tomatoes scared to turn the lights on unless you have a unless you bring the pre existing fear of tomatoes into the book, you're not gonna like have nightmares about the killer tomatoes.
0: No, yeah, they're they're definitely not, you know, terrifying. Although, you know, I don't I'm not sure. It doesn't seem like the original movie the original movie is kind of spoofy, right? It's kind of like a Oh yeah. a monster yep. creature feature done in a yep. spoofy style. Um So anyway, I've, I I kind of try to describe your novelization to people cuz you know, for people who don't know Attack of the Killer Tomatoes came out many many years ago. And the novelization is coming out now. Um, so it's kind of like a conceit where it's like, what if a novelization of this movie had been written as novelizations used to be written for basically every movie that came out? Um, right. Your Alan Dean Fosters and so on would write, you know, a novelization of aliens or RoboCop or Armageddon or whatever was the thing. Um, So, Tell me a little bit about how this happened, how it came together. And like, do you have do you have like a couple sentence pitch for it that can kind of explain like what it feels like? Because I think I can describe to people what happens in the book and how some of the jokes function and stuff. But like, it's hard for me to describe the experience of it other than to just say, like, it's super funny. You just have to read it.
1: Yeah, just read it. That would be my concern. just and then period. Read it. Yeah. Just Read it, but watch the movie first. No, it came about really from a joke tweet. I was just trying to be funny. I was like, how is it possible that no one has asked me to write a novelization of Attack of the Killer Tomatoes? <laughs> I was like, it was just, I put that out there. And then um, Mark Miller from Encyclopocalypse Publications, and they have done some retro novelizations where it's brand new novelizations for older films. Mm-hmm. And so he emailed me and said, Hey, if you're serious, I would um I'll see if I can track down the rights. I was like, Yes, let's do that. <laughs> and a few weeks later, I was in a meeting with the guys who made Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. And you know, my my credentials, you know, my resume is pretty good for Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. So it's mm-hmm. not like I didn't have to do a major you know, please, I'm the right guy. One forty-five years later, they probably were not fielding a lot of offers for you know people who wanted to do Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. I think they were like, you know, what the hell? Yeah. So <laughs> you know, it there wasn't you know when a movie comes out in 1978 and you're pitching it in 2022, not a lot of you know competition for that slot novel of you know doing a novelization Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. So it was really just a Zoom meeting, and I explained that my vision for it was to sort of treat it like they had a Marvel Studios budget. Mm-hmm. And they like that. and really the only um caveat they had was make it um as family friendly as the movie. So you know the movie would be a hard PG-13 if it came out today. Mm-hmm. So you know that, and which is what I would have done anyway. So basically, they didn't want me to do you know a really gory, profanity-filled, sex-laden Attack of the Killer Tomatoes book, which I did. So it's you know it is. If you would let your kids watch the movie, you can let your kids read the book. And I had fun with some of the you know politically incorrect things. But yeah, the premise of it was that it's all explained in, in the introduction. The introduction is that. The novelization had already been written in 1978 and never published, and I found the guy and committed the act of murder and then passed it (laughs) off as my own. And so I tried to write it, it, it. So you're supposed to be reading a book that was written in 1978, but... There are lots of winks to the fact that it was not written in 1978, mostly with the politically incorrect stuff that's in the original movie. So, it it you know it it is a very it winks it's in on the joke and you're you you know you're not it's not meant to um, fool you into thinking it was 1978. It, there are lots of pulling back the curtain moments, and I just because the movie is so goofy, you know the movie is very meta. And, um, so that kind of let me take that as far as I wanted. It was, um, you know, it's, it, I didn't want to steal their jokes unless it catapults to something different. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm not just recycling their jokes because they're in the movie. If you've laughed it in the movie, it's not going to be funnier in the book. Mm-hmm. So the only time I actually swipe jokes is if the joke carries into something else I was doing with it so it's it is pretty much all new jokes and it's um it is a kind of a scene by scene adaptation until it's not right so yeah you get it's for a while you can say yeah this is there's a lot you know it's all new jokes but it's kind of it follows the movie pretty closely and then at one point it no longer follows the movie closely
0: yeah it's kind of an amazing to read because i feel like you know there are just so many different kinds of jokes and styles of joke in it you know and there there's like meta humor in it because like you said the movies you know got that sort of meta humor but then i feel like the novelization then says okay well we can take that up in other ways you know because this is the novelization and yeah there are the jokes about the time period because characters in the in the book will reference like, well, this is how I think, but you know, it's this year and maybe 40 years from now, I'll right. feel very differently. About it. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
1: like,
0: there's a, yeah, it's
1: like, you know, he's the um, publisher, the newspaper editor yeah. talking to the female journalist. Yes. And he's like, you know, I like your style. You've got a, you know good eye for the news and you've got a nice ass i can say that because it's 1978 and i'm sure i'll never change my mind about that (laughs) right
0: yeah he's like continually for a little while he's like trying to convince this reporter to use her feminine wiles to get this story and then you know eventually after she tells him a million times he's like so wait a minute. You could use like journalism skills to do right. this? Maybe we should do that. <laughs> you know.
1: Right. <laughs> so good. Yeah, a lot of the movie hasn't aged not a lot. Parts of the movie have not aged well. So it was fun to, you know, just full on embrace that. And so yeah, it was a lot of fun to write. It was um the difference is that, you know, cuz we've been talking, you know, I try to make sure that, you know, with a horror comedy, the threat is always real. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's not how this book is. You're not, you know, when you watch Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, you're not invested in the characters. Right. You're not, you know, it's, you're not scared of the tomatoes. You know, it's supposed to be a stupid, you know, it's, oh, the tomatoes are not supposed to be scary at all. Right. So it's kind of fun. Cause even my goofiest books, like I have a book called a bad day for voodoo, which is a, um, very meta YA comedy but you're still there's still threat you're still supposed to be kind of like following the story and tag of the killer tomatoes was fun because it's like i can this book is just meant to be funny and i tried to make it as funny as possible and you know because you're not really you know it's not a Page Turner, my God! I need to know how they're going to get away from these killer tomatoes. And it's not like my God, I'm so invested in these characters that I just have to know how it turns out. Which meant that I had to put, you know, lots and lots and lots of jokes in there. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those, you know, there's really no moments where it's like, all right, you know, let's not be funny now. Let's just tell the story because that's just not the kind of book it is. So you know, it is a very fast. Pace joke machine and yeah. so some people will love it and some people will get tired of it you know it's not everyone loves attack of the killer tomatoes even though they should you know if you watch attack of the killer tomatoes and you don't enjoy it you're probably not the target audience for this book but yeah, that could the be best, the most the best way to read it is to watch the movie and then read the book 'Cause it a lot of the jokes tie directly into the movie. You don't have to do it. You're not gonna be lost if you're on the Attack of the Kiltromess, but if you want the maximum value for your money, I think you should watch the movie and then go right into the book.
0: Yeah, and I mean it's a it's a pretty hilarious movie and it's kinda of, it's from this interesting era, I think, where that kind of like it's a super indie movie at a time when super indie movies were not easy to make, you know, it was very right. difficult. And yeah, I I agree. It's kind of like you can read it having never seen the movie, and it's not like you won't know what's going on. Um, right. And a lot of the jokes, too. You know, you will you will get them. But yeah, I, I agree with you. If you've seen the movie recently, then and read the book, I think that's maximum yeah. maximizing your experience with it. Right.
1: Like, there's the early bit that you know people love. There's it's a really really funny scene. Where they're having a con, they're in the conference room, but the conference room is too small for everybody, <laughs> and the table kind of, and it's just this Marx Brothers style sight gag where people have to crawl over the table to get to their chairs, and these are high-ranking military officials and you know political people, so it's a really funny bit. It doesn't translate to a book, right? So I'm not going to say what I did for that scene, but it sort of it assumes that. You remember the scene from the movie and then takes it in a different direction. Now, if you don't remember the movie, that's fine. The scene, you're not going to be lost. But it's kind of a funny twist on it just because the scene itself doesn't you know, saying. And then they crawled over the table isn't, doesn't translate that well in a novel. So I came up with a different way to handle the scene that's really meant for the movie.
0: I was going to ask if you'd ever seen, because so when I was looking into, I saw this book come up in your newsletter. And, you know, pre-ordered it. So I've, that's why I've got it already. I think it officially comes out in April in, like, wide right. release. Um, yep. But as I was looking it up, I remembered that there was, like, an Attack of the Killer Tomatoes cartoon that was on. And there were, like, yep. action figures and stuff. And Yeah,
1: there were, there were um, four movies in the Attack of the Killer Tomatoes series. There was a cartoon. And at one point, I was going to sort of, like, bring everything in. From all the different incarnations, like Return of the Killer Tomatoes, the second movie is actually a pretty popular popular by the standards of Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. But it's you know it's got George Clooney Mm -hmm. in a large part, and he's genuinely good in it. Mm -hmm. It's not you know he's he's a funny actor, and he's really good in the movie. So Return of the Killer Tomatoes is actually the best of the series. It's the one that holds up the best as a Comedy. So at one point, I was going to sort of bring in references to all those, and I thought, you know what, I don't want to step on the toes. You know, what if, what if Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, the novelization is successful enough that someone else, you know, wants to do Return of the Killer Tomatoes. So I didn't want to step on anyone's toes. so I kind of kept it very much focused on the first movie. But yeah, there's a whole, you know, there are there's a wide world of Attack of the Killer Tomatoes for those who choose to experience it.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely a rabbit hole that, you know, existed in the time before we were all going down internet rabbit holes. It was kind of a yep. it keeps expanding. Um, I saw th- I saw this one coming out from Encyclopocalypse. And then I, I saw recently, like in the last couple weeks, um, Vinegar Syndrome, it's a company that puts out lots of restorations of Forgotten right. Horror movies, is opening a publication wing and they're planning to do right. novelizations as well. Yeah, I saw that. What 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 is is the novelization making a comeback? Is this like a a new idea, a new thing, or is it kind of always been lurking around?
1: I it would be cool if it did. You know what? Obviously, the what happened with novelizations was that you know if you went to see you know a movie in the 1970s or the ni- early 1980s, that was it. And if you're like, oh my gosh, I loved this movie so much. I wish it was back in theaters, you read the novelization. So then you can always, you know, always go back and experience the book through, or experience the movie through the book. Mm-hmm. Then home video came out, but you still had, you know, nine months before it came out on VHS. So you still, the novelization would be out usually before the movie came out. So then you still had that. Now, you know, movies hit streaming either simultaneously right. or within, you know, three weeks so it's like you there's very little the gap between theatrical release and watching it in your living room is very small so the novelization doesn't quite you know it you have to really be into a movie to want to read the novelization because you could just watch the movie again right there you know so they still exist yeah there's are still there are still major publications of them for major movies but i don't think there are that many novelizations of just you know smaller movies anymore mm-hmm. you know you. it's a lot of times it's shocking like the movies that had novelizations in the 70s and 80s now I think it's only the really big ones yeah. so I don't know I'm not sure how well these you know retro novelizations are doing I, th- I think that would be wonderful if it turned in if it turned into this big craze maybe attack of the killer tomatoes will usher in this fine new era but I think, you know, I, at this point it's too early. I don't know if it's going to turn into a thing, which would be really cool. Or if people are going to say, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll have attack of the killer tomatoes on my bookshelf next to my copy of the DVD, but I don't know that I'm actually going to read it. <laughs> <laughs> so well, it, yeah. it, it, it remains to be seen. You know, if vinegar syndrome does them and has a big marketing campaign. That would be, that'd be awesome.
0: I think it'd be really interesting for them, too, because I know they have the rights to a lot of movies that probably people never watched, you know, or right. uh, maybe saw one time like in the 70s or the 80s and kind of forgot about. And I do wonder if, you know, there's some opportunity here, like for some novelizations to kind of bring new life to those movies and maybe like, uh, you know, there's some movies they put out where it's like you can tell the Filmmakers were going for something and maybe didn't quite get there because of budget or time or right. equipment available. is there like any movie that you can think of that you're like, you know, I think I could really like do do something with that. I mean, I guess other than attack of the killer tomatoes because that one you did
1: <laughs> I don't know I guess if they were to you know I wouldn't necessarily want to tackle a really good one unless it was something that was so Cool that I couldn't do down You know, if they said we'd like you to do a novelization of Evil Dead,
2: mm-hmm. would, oh yes, Ugh, yes, yeah.
1: yes, 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 <laughs> yes. I would, you know, just for that. You know, if they said we would like you to do a Texas Chainsaw Massacre novel, yes, absolutely, right. But in terms of the creative challenge, there aren't that many movies where it's like you know, if it's a movie I really like, I don't know what I would necessarily do to. Bring my own life to it. Like *Attack of the Killer Tomatoes* was fun because I write goofy kind of stuff, so it's right. like, okay, I can bring. It's it's a combination. It is very respectful to the tone of *Attack of the Killer Tomatoes*, but it's a Jeff strand novel. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've never seen *Attack of the Killer Tomatoes* and you read it, I think
0: you'll enjoy it. Right. Yes. But, absolutely.
1: Um, you know, with something like *Evil Dead*, I would kind of have to make sure I'm it's an *Evil Dead* novel. Right. And so so I would kind of like, you know, if you're like pick your movie, what one has, you know, cool premise, doesn't quite live up to, it. you know, I would go for something like Terror Vision, which <laughs> I loved. I'm I haven't seen a long time. I'm sure it doesn't. There's no way that movie holds up mm-hmm. except for the theme song. The theme song is awesome. But something like that, where it's like, let's, you know, not have to worry about the special effects budget. Right. Let's go you know, make it as funny and insane as we can. I think, you know, terror vision would be something where I could be respectful to the movie, but also, you know, bring my own writing style into it. You know, something like The Pit, which is a yeah my favorite bad <laughs> movie. Yeah. Like that early 80s, this little kid who, you know, he has a teddy bear that's alive and kind of perverted. And there's this pit and it's got these trollog creatures and he feeds bullies to them mm-hmm. it's a it's a terrible movie but it's i love it it's just a fun fun bad movie it's like well what if i took that and tried to make it good right it you know, took to kept the insanity you know because it's a you know a perverted teddy living teddy bear and a keep pushing bullies into the pit with the creatures to keep the insanity but you know, bring my A game to it. That would be fun. Is there a market for that? You know, are people going to say, "Oh my goodness, a novel based on the pit"? Let me purchase that and spend the next six or seven hours of my life reading it. I don't know. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's hard. To, I don't even know that that's going to happen for Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. You know that? Cool. You know, the next time you have me on your podcast, i will "Well, that was a mistake. Not one person wanted that crap." But. Um, <laughs>
0: I mean, I hope not because it's just reading it. It's excellent. And like, yeah, the pit I think is a great example. Cause you know, it's, kind, it's, it's really weird and there are sequences in it that are bizarre and there are kind of some images in it that are funny. You know, the kid at one point is like trying to lead a cow into the pit to feed yeah. the thing or it's, like he, he throws a football for some guy who, you know, he's like, go long. And then.
1: Yeah. You know, so you know, I don't know what kind of, you know, tangled web it would take to acquire the rights to the pit. But... And I would, you know, it would it would be something where the publisher would have to say, look, we're going to market this. Not just.
0: Yeah. Right. Right. There's the pit. No Not just like, well, something. all right, do whatever, I guess. But, you know, if I, if I had the power of vinegar
1: syndrome behind me.
0: <laughs> well, Vinegar syndrome is listening by some chance. Let's say
1: you're listening this and is, you
0: read Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, you think, I like that guy. Yeah. I think I think this could be your guy. I really do. Uh, <laughs> um so before I let you go, you do have some cons coming up. It looks like scares the care is pretty soon. Um
1: Yep, scares the care author con. That's and, in Virginia at the end of March.
0: And that's a that's a big that's a newer one, right? A bigger one and
1: it's i think they did 8 of the actual scares of care which used to be a summer convention mm-hmm. and then they did a spin-off convention that was just the authors uh, okay so it's called the scares of care author con is now the um, end of march offshoot and so and before that i'm doing the scares the care writers workshop where i'm one of the instructors teaching this bold new batch of upcoming writers how to I don't know what I'm doing. Actually, I'm gonna have to. I've got a lot of preparation to do so I can share my quote-unquote wisdom for them. That
0: that was that would be an exciting class for me. I'm gonna be honest. Has it been like? Has it been a lot of fun? Because you you do a fair number of cons and that kind of thing. Has it been nice to kind of get back into that after 2020 stuff?
1: Oh yeah, 2020 was horrible. I just like because I my normal day is I. Sit down on my computer and I write all day. Mm-hmm. But then I have these great moments where I get to go to a convention and see all my horror writer friends and you know have this you know amazing long weekend, then I come back and toil in obscurity. Right. So <laughs> with Covid, it was all the obscurity without the getting to go to conventions. So last year, I really made up for it. and this year, I'm even more making up for it. So I have a very busy list of
0: events. Good. Well, I'm glad you can get back into that and kind of start feeling feeling that love again. You know, feeling yeah. like oh, okay, this stuff that I'm doing because it does feel like that, especially in 2020, right? Like you make a, yeah. a book, you publish it and then it's just sort of out there in this floaty nebulous world. Yeah. So yeah. So if you go to
1: www.jeffstrand.com and click the appearances link, you can see all the amazing events I'll be at. in I
0: hope to see everyone there yeah and something i love about your website too and your your newsletter and all that stuff is like all of all of your things have uh little jokes here and there like even your appearance schedule has some jokes in it you know like it'll say i'm gonna be at such and such a con you know and so on what what drives you that way like what makes you add in jokes to your appearance calendar is that fun for you is that to keep people going uh...
1: I'm a horror comedy writer. I try to be entertaining. If you you know one of the major projects that I haven't gotten around to is I want to do like a complete, you know, redo of my website and pack in even more jokes, you know, funny captions if you hover your cursor over pictures and stuff. And I haven't got around to that yet. But yeah, I just try to make it as entertaining as possible. My newsletter, you know, I want it to be funny and entertaining. When I'm on social media, I'm trying to be entertaining because I don't want it to be just, you know, buy my book, buy my book. I want it to be you're getting actual entertaining content even while I'm saying buy my book buy my book
0: yeah and I do I do feel like that I I highly recommend the newsletter which is under if you go to Jeff's website under contact that's where you can find the newsletter and subscribe and it's always got like funny stuff in it and upcoming appearances and a lot of times you'll have a story or something in it too and it's just like it's very entertaining on top of you know and the you know the buy my book stuff is in there but it's like i don't know it it's just so entertaining and i really appreciate that about everything you do online and on your website and in your newsletter is like it's worth reading to someone who doesn't even if i didn't buy the book it's worth reading and that kind of compels me to buy the book
1: yeah that's what i you know it the newsletter is not just keep up with the latest Jeff Stra news it's you get a free story every issue so if you like my work every time the newsletter goes out, there's a you know flash fiction piece in it and I ended up compiling seventy five of them into my one of my later books uh, freaky briefs seventy five short insanities so um i yeah so I try to keep it as energy as possible just so I don't come off like uh you know, like I'm hustling too much. Oh, I hustle. You know, I, I'm not one of those authors <laughs> who says, you know, it is beneath me to promote my own work. Right. I'm out there promoting my work like crazy, but I try to do it in a fun way so that you don't feel like I'm just, you know, holding out a tin cup trying to get your cash. I'm trying to be entertaining at the same time.
0: Well, yeah, I think I I love it. It makes it, it's like a sales pitch, but it's like worth listening to because it's fun. It's engaging. It's interesting. It's funny. You know, so even when you're in that sales pitch portion, it's like I always read the entire thing, even if I already bought the book, because I'm like, there's going to be a laugh in here. You know, it's it's worth it. It's what I try to do. All right. I have a last question for you, which is, you know, a question I know you get uh, from time to time, which is basically if somebody's been listening to this and they're like, all right, I'm going to check out Jeff Strand. Can you make a couple recommendations? You know, here, try this or this.
1: I'm gonna say if you if you are a fan of action-packed splattery horror, go with my latest demonic, which has a lot of humor in it. And generally my default my default answer changes. But so I'm gonna this time say, you know, if you've never heard of me, pick up Wolf Hunt. All right. It's my it's a werewolf mixed with a crime novel, lots of action, lots of laughs,
0: lots of violence. I love that one. That one's like one of those ones that's, again, hard, a little hard for me to define and just goes into like, just read it. Just like pick it up, open it up and you'll you'll be fine. It It's going to be great. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so happy to have you. I was so nervous to talk to you and uh, I'm glad that you're a nice person. But Now and... you're like, yeah, he's not so great. <laughs> I'm filled with regret now. <laughs> the nerves are gone. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was you know, nervous over that. Huh? No, it's, it's been lovely to talk to you and I just, I'm really enjoying your work and I'm so happy that I found your stuff and that, you know, there's been such a great back catalog for me to go through it. You know, it's like an un- unearthing, a treasure trove of great stuff to read. All right. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. Well, thank you.